Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio 2022. In today's episode, I am going to be telling my story, and I have a full intro and everything coming up, but I just wanted to start off by thanking some people who uh, who have heard my story, who understand my story, and have supported me throughout. Uh, number one being Jason Ellis and Supersource. He's been with me since day one. He's been such a, a good friend and a fan of what we're doing here and I definitely wouldn't be able to do what I do without him. Monty Crawford and everybody over at What Chefs Want have been amazing as well. Just completely supportive of the entire podcast and um, can't say thank you enough to them. Ross Chandler over at Cytex has, has been just such a great friend and their company has been going through so much. It's, this pandemic is hitting everybody differently and these people are true hustlers they're getting through everything they possibly can Erin Moso over at Sharpier's Bakery she's just been absolutely amazing uh, these people have known my story I've told them my story they've supported me and uh, as I've told anybody who sponsors me like hey this is what you're getting so if you are out there right now in 2022 you want to sponsor this show, please feel free to reach out to Brandon at NashvilleRestaurantRadio.com. We have a couple spots for people uh, if you do want to sponsor the show. And um, just thank you for listening. Listen to the very end of the show because I'm going to have updates on some things I missed throughout the interview. This was a tough one for me to do and um, I'm really glad that I did it. So I hope that you guys enjoy it and... Um, Happy New Year, 2022. Go make it the best one yet. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, the tastiest hour of talk in Music City. Now here's your host, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host. Joined today with Jen Ichikawa in 2022. How are you doing, Jen? Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm a little nervous for today's show, but um, I'm hopeful. Good. I'm a little nervous for today's show, too, honestly. Good. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah. You know, we've uh, we've had a we've, we've had an amazing month. Mm-hmm. Let's let's catch people up. So today's show, I'm going to tell my story today. Mm-hmm. But this has been we took the month of December off from doing new episodes. Did you enjoy the break? Did you get to did you get to rest and relax? No, um, <laughs> I don't know rest. Um, no, this this month has been a pretty absurdly busy. My birthday was early December and then my husband's and then the anniversary of my grandfather passing and then my kid's birthday in addition to Christmas and Hanukkah and uh, of course Thanksgiving before. And so it's it's been a busy month and then work we've been slammed and it's been a big, big month. It really has. I um, am impressed by you. Like I'm con- I don't think I get to tell you enough like how many balls you juggle, but like I'm I may not say it, but I see you, all the things you're going through. And I'm like, I, I can't complain. Like I've got to, I got to step it up. Like there's no way I can complain about anything. And and I just, I don't know if you know that you give me strength every day. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're, you're, you're one of the rare people that sees all of my 
balls like you're because you work with me and then you see me in my personal life too so like the other day when we had to unexpectedly close the restaurant on my kid's first birthday party day it was like okay we're gonna do this in the morning and then at night there was the birthday party <laughs> so you just happen to see the whole scope in a way that i think nobody else very few people really do and you got to pull it off with absolute poise and grace and i didn't hear you complain you didn't complain to me you didn't complain no. one time you just you just i think he said there's not enough if i start complaining i'm gonna miss out on getting shit done so I had a lot let's, to do. <laughs> let's get it done and yeah. uh, could not have done it without you and megan and arian were really big helps also yeah definitely definitely well thank you well this month has been um it's been good i've been able to reflect i've tried to not read like 100 books i've tried to listen to podcasts mm -hmm. i did however just buy Brene brown's new book atlas of the heart because it comes out on audio version on Valentine's Day, and I couldn't wait that long. I love that you're now a Brene Brown fanboy. I've been a Brene Brown fan for years. I think mm -hmm. the first day that I worked at Maribel and Greenhouse Grill, I showed the Brene Brown video on blame. Yeah. I think I walked in, I go, watch, look at how many people are, everybody was blaming somebody else for something. And I went, when is anybody going to stand up and say, that one's on me? I'll mm -hmm. own this and I will get better. And that's the, kind of the culture I wanted to create based upon her. Like I'm Brene, I'm a blamer. Mm -hmm. Then I started reading her books and I was like, wow. I mean, I didn't, I don't think I was in the right headspace at that time to understand vulnerability or understand her books. Mm -hmm. uh, it's taken a lot of work to get there. So. Yeah. Well, but doing the work is half the thing, right? A lot of people say, I'm going to do the work. I want to do the work and whatever that work is, whether that's, becoming something or sobriety or, or just being a better father, husband, person, mother, daughter, whatever. And you're actually really trying to do the work, which is really commendable and very hard. It is very hard. There's another book that I've read recently called how to do the work, <laughs> which takes you down in a granular way and really how to identify where your trauma is and what it is and how to move past it because God bless I think I don't know anybody in my world, nobody that doesn't have some sort of trauma in their life that they need to work through. I, I think that might be a good segue into this mm -hmm. thing because I did a podcast with Eric Cacciatore, who's the host of Restaurant Unstoppable. And we did a show, he was on this podcast, oh gosh, like a year ago. And then uh, he came to Nashville around mid-October, kind of late October. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, I'd like to interview you. And he came to Maribel and we sat down and it was, I think, three days before my two year uh, mm -hmm. sobriety birthday. And he said, so you're celebrating a pretty big day. And I said, yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's pretty cool. And we talked about it. And then he asked me some more in-depth questions about it. And I ended up telling him probably way more than I really wanted to. But I got so many people who reached out to me and were like, man, that was so brave. I was like, I don't think it was brave. I don't know how the world that was brave, but literally I probably had 15 to 20 people reach out and say, Hey, look, let's connect. I, I need help in that area. Or can you tell me more? And I thought in 2022, one of the things I really wanted to do was something that was going to start helping the community. And we've got some amazing people that come to town in the giving kitchen and big table. Uh, there's just a lot of focus around recovery and, We've gone through 2020 and 2021 where 
every other week, it seems everything in the world changes and people are not working and they're at home. And it is, it's not, I, I thrive on change for some reason. I enjoy it. Like I, Oh, look, now we have something to really focus on. Like that's what gets me going. And everybody's not like that. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I wanted to share, I want to every month interview somebody in this industry who is sober and I want to share their stories because every time I hear somebody tell me their story, I go, oh my gosh, that's me. Or I recognize so many facets of it. And I had no clue. Right. I, had, I had zero clue that any of that was me. And so I felt like I can't solicit this information from anybody else until I just come out and tell my story kind of as a Hey, look, I did it. Let's pull the bandaid off. And what I want to do is, is I want to tell my story. And if you're out there and you feel like I don't, I don't want to preach. I don't want to sound like I know what the fuck I'm talking about because I really don't. I'm just talking, I'm going to talk today from my heart and what I have experienced. Uh, By no means is this a game plan. By no means is this, look what I can do. You can't do it. That's no way. And if you're not somebody who drinks or has an alcohol problem or drug or pill problem, whatever it might be, Hopefully some parts of this you will understand so that when you work with somebody, because, you know, we, we had people, we have a lot of people that work with us that are in, in recovery. And, you know, I'll do wine tastings before the shift. Or I used to. I still do wine tasting. I don't drink, obviously. But like when I would do wine tasting, somebody would go, no, good. I, I don't drink. I go, well, you can at least smell it. Like get in here. Like you can. And I'm the insensitivity that I used to have was mind boggling. And the. I didn't, I don't think I had the ability to see it. So I want to tell my story today and I ask you to be here to kind of help me navigate through it because you know me really, really well. And you can call me on my bullshit. If I try and get to pontificational, that's a word. Um, so yeah, so there we go. That's what today's episode's about. We're going to title today's episode. <laughs> it's already said, hello, my name is Brandon and I'm an alcoholic. There you go. Here we go. So I, I didn't know where to start and I wanted to start, I want to go back to the beginning and I want you guys to know a little bit about me and where I come from. And I was born in Southern California, widely talked about on the show. And I grew up, I have an older brother who is two and a half years older than me. He's six foot eight, 300 plus pounds. He might, he's been working out a lot. He may be like less than that. Now. I hate to put his weight out there. <laughs> uh, and I have a younger sister who is um, amazing. She is, uh, she's six foot tall. I don't know her weight. I'm not going to say it. But she's uh, she's gorgeous, and she is an amazing human being. And growing up, I had this older brother, and I had a younger sister, and I was the quintessential middle child. Like by all, I was like, I'd walk into a therapist's office, and they're like, oh, your middle child, got it. Like they knew exactly what was going on. Uh, I did not, and it stemmed from my parents. We went to both of my grandparents lived close to us. We spent a lot of time at my father's parents' house and my mother's parents' house. And they almost couldn't be more opposite. Like my father's parents would constantly be telling me, you're not good enough. How come you can't ride the big waves like your brother? How come you can't hit the ball as as far as your brother? How come you can't throw the ball as hard as your brother? How come you can't run as fast? Like you're just not as good as he is. And he's the goal. And it was like, man, I tell you what, as like a six-year-old, that's painful shit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think my sister was um, also in that same boat, but she she didn't fall in line to their their ways either. So she was kind of cast off also from them. My brother was the kind of the golden child in that family. 
And at my other grandparents' house was not the opposite, but they kind of loved everybody the same. And they were the ones who would hold me at night and tell me I was good enough. So I did have that balance. And it's amazing growing up, even to this day, the competitive nature that I have with my brother. And I look back on it and I think like, wow, my brother wasn't necessarily trying to compete with me all the time. I was just trying to catch up because I was constantly told that I couldn't. And um, so I mean, that helped me and it hurt me. It helped me because nothing scared me. I was constantly battling somebody who was two feet bigger than me and could kick my ass whenever they wanted. Uh, so nobody scared me. And again, I also didn't feel like I was good enough. You know, I always lost. It helped me identify that I could lose and be okay with it. But it also drove me every day because he wasn't going away. So, I mean, there's parts of me and my personality that you get it and you go, oh, I see why that is. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know any of this really growing up. And so when I was 16, 17, I think I started smoking cigarettes when I was 12. And I didn't know that actually. Yeah. So we, grew, we were the first people to live on our street and they were building houses all around us. So we would go like walk through these houses that were being built and look for, you know, finally one day I found a pack of uh, Marlboro's. Marble Reds? Uh, I don't remember. I think it was a red. It was Marble Reds and then Newports. It was a Marble Red. I found a pack of them and I went home and I was like, oh my gosh, I called my friends uh, who live right down the street. And I was like, I found a pack of cigarettes. You want to try and smoke one? You know, so we like hid and we went in these houses that were being built. We would smoke cigarettes. And then ultimately I'm a tall guy. I could at like 15, 16, I could walk into stores and confidently just buy cigarettes. Mm -hmm. I started smoking pot when I was like 15. I was at David Lipscomb. I went to five high schools, never got in trouble. I always knew right before I was getting in trouble. And then I would go to a different school and uh, I had to switch my friends. My parents said, you got to switch friends. You can't let it hang out with the people you're hanging out with. So I said, I can't do that at school. So for some reason, they let me switch schools, which I think helps me. The fact that, I've, you know, people say that you've never met a stranger. You walk into any room because I had to do that multiple times and make new sets of friends. Um, which also was tough because, you know, you didn't get to have these long lasting friends. And I was, I was tough. I was tough. I had a really thick skin and I had a hard exterior. I I was not going to allow you to push me around. I was angry. Mm -hmm. I was an angry, angry kid. And I think back, it gives me heartburn and I just get that really guilty, terrible feeling when I think of the way that I was to kids in the sixth, seventh and eighth grade. Like Mm -hmm. I was such a, dick like I was horrible and it wasn't until um I was like 16 or 17 that I really got into hanging out with my sister and all her friends that I kind of let some of that go and I think I started my parents said you can start drinking in the house uh when you're 18 so like we have a beer at dinner kind of a thing like mm-hmm. if you were eight you weren't allowed to drink anything else but like you could have a beer at dinner very European well you know it was it was I think that they were like hey look we don't want to make a stigma out of not drinking you're yeah. gonna go do it we know it, but if we can have you mm-hmm. here, you're not doing it outside of there, then that's a thing. And uh, I always thought that was really cool. At 18, yeah. at 18 years old, I took my brother's driver's license to the DMV. I took his birth certificate and social security card, which I knew where it was in my parents' house. I took it to the DMV. This is way before everything was digital. And I had them take a picture and I got my own driver's license, a Tennessee driver's license when I was 18 that said I was 21 with my, I could get pulled over and it would work. Like it was a wow. real driver's license. Did you guys look a lot more alike back then? Well, there was no like file picture back. Like then it was like. Oh, so they just took your. Oh, oh, oh. Because I mean, I'm like, was a... don't look. 
No. Well, the funny thing is, like, two years later, he moved to California for a couple years, and they did have that. He tried to get a license. They're like, "This isn't you," on their computer, and he was like, "It is. It is me." Like, it and like, it took him a while, and I felt so terrible about that. Uh, but I could go drinking at bars like full mm -hmm. on whenever I want to when I was eighteen. So I kind of turned twenty when I turned eighteen. Right. Which drinking to me, I started working in restaurants at that time, mm -hmm. and drinking was just fun. It was kind of a rite of passage. That's what you did, right? You worked hard, you got cash, and then after that, you went you went drinking. And I had a roommate. I moved out of uh, my parents' house when I was eighteen, and I lit and I had a condo in Bellevue, mm -hmm. nineteen ninety seven, and my roommate was twenty six. And he would drink uh, handles of uh, Gordon's vodka. He would drink five, six shots of vodka before he went to work in the morning. Like it was a, like I, that was normalized to me. Was he also in the industry? Oh yeah. Yeah. We worked at Ruby Tuesdays in Brentwood uh, oh, wow. at that time. And he would, he would drink four five, six shots. And then he would go to work. He'd take the Gordon's with him. And in between breaks, he'd go to his car and he would do shots and then come home at night. And he would buy me handles of early times, just to like not drink his vodka. I've never like, heard of these brands at all. Yeah, they're really shitty brands. I mean, I, yeah. bless your heart, Gordon's in, in early times. But like if you're buying rock gut stuff and you don't have a lot of money, that's what you drink. We you drink a half gallon of vodka every day. Jeez. And, I, you know, we had all these people that come because all my friends were like 18. Mm -hmm. When they couldn't go out to bars, they couldn't have my apartment. Mm -hmm. We could just get wasted. You know, we would smoke pot all night. I mean, it was a grand old time. I didn't think anything of it because that's just what everybody kind of did. And I was somewhat, I was driven and I wanted to keep going, keep going. And I, I finally got a job at Amerigo and um, that was kind of where it all changed for me. I mean, I got into management and I stopped smoking pot, but I still drank. And drinking was one of those things. Drinking is something that is socially acceptable every single place in the world. Mm -hmm. And I never thought of anything. I mean, you know, I was... I think that growing up in my grandparents' world, are you bigger, faster, stronger, are you tough, was like this crazy masculinity that like was taught to me. Like I, I don't, you know, I don't begrudge people who are that way. I mean, I, I kind of do, but I, I feel like there's so much education that we can learn because I thought to be a man, you had to just suck it up. You weren't allowed to have feelings. Right. Men don't have feelings. Men just get shit done. Men just get out there and hustle. So I was under the, I could drink all night long till three, four o'clock in the morning. I could be at work at eight o'clock in the morning. You wouldn't know the difference. I can work. I work sick. I work. Didn't matter. That's what you did. And I, I, that was incredibly unhealthy. All of that was incredibly unhealthy. And I grew up in a like a very strict Christian world where the men was the, the man was the head of the home and the woman was the heart of the home. And I mean, I don't know. I think that all of that stuff is, is so antiquated, honestly. Yeah. I mean, we've, now that we've learned more, we do better, right? And when you know better, do better. And we just didn't, there weren't voices out there advocating for anything else at that time. I sit back and I've done so much reflection on why I'm the way that I am and who I am. And I look back at some of this stuff. And I don't want to just get into too many of these crazy details. So I know I already am, but why I'm the way that I am growing up into a man, getting married and falling into this line of this is what you do. You get, you grow up, you get a job, you get married. Mm -hmm. And we waited eight years to have children. And then you have kids and then you raise the children. Then you raise, and I, you know, I, I bought this house that we're in right now. 
in October of 2019. And it was kind of this moment for me where I thought, I'm a man now. I now have this house and I have all these things. Like, I'm a man. And it was, it's amazing because I had, I thought I was on top of the world. And here we are 17 days later and, or 18 days after that, I'm resigning my position at my job and I'm, I have to look at my life in a completely different way. Yeah. You know, I think for years and years and years, uh, I've always wondered uh, this drinking, like I'm not drinking every night. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm drinking every night. And through all of the crazy shit that I would see all the time, somebody asked me the other day at the restaurant, I said, oh, but you've seen a lot of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff. I've seen 80-year-old women do shots of tequila at 10 o'clock in the morning. I've seen, you know, guys, you name it. It's, it's. I'm sure there's still stuff I need to see yet in the restaurant business. But I think all of us out there, we've seen the wackiest, the hardest side, which I would look at and I go, well, at least I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like I wasn't drinking in the morning. I mean, it certainly have before. That's why I love football, right? Sunday morning football, you can get up at 8 o'clock in the morning and start drinking to get ready for that 12 o'clock game. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I normalized all of these things. Well, and so, so does society though. Like don't put all of that on you. Right. Like I went to FSU, which is known for partying and I'm grace by some grace of God, not an addict, but we did the same thing. Like everything you're describing, I did, my friends did. That's, that's the culture that we are in. So, you know, just not to put all of that on just you and not knowing. Well, no, but for me, understanding because, you know, I went through this period where I was like, I am the worst person on mm -hmm. this planet. Like, I am yeah. just a terrible human. And it's really uh, depression hits you really mm -hmm. hard. And depression is something that, oh, I cannot even tell you how bad it is. I know a lot of people out there are like, holy shit. If anybody knew about the depression that I had. But I, um, I didn't tell anybody about it. Because you know what? I'm a man. I suck that up and I just go out there and I just do what I have to do and don't show it. Don't put any of this out there and don't show it. So I will, I will fast forward to my wife, who's the most amazing person um, who's put up with me for all of these years and all of my wacky antics and all of the things going to hockey games, coming home at two o'clock in the morning after I said I'd be home at 11 o'clock after the game ended, just wasted How'd you get home? Like, uh, I don't know. My car's here. You know, like, even if uh, it's okay, I'm if I was taking an Uber, I got 10 times more wasted. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, it was just a, when I was allowed to, I all, I all, I started blaming my wife because she would say, You're drinking too much. And I would go, No, I'm not. You just think that because you don't want me to be happy, you know, and you want to control me and you want all these things. And I would blame her for all of this. And it was pretty bad. Like I, I was in this cycle of I can control what I can control, but she's causing this in me. And it wasn't until October 26th. Oh no, October 27th. October 27th. Um, we had a party. Of 2019. Of 2019. Yeah, we had a party at, uh, at, at our owner's house, Stephen's house. Mm -hmm. And I made a decision that night that was a terrible decision. I am not going to go into the details of it. Like I said, if you want more details, this I'm happy to stand and talk to, to anybody. Um, this, some of this stuff isn't for the air, but I will tell you that I made a poor decision. And I ended up leaving that night and waking up the next morning and realizing the, the, the thing that 
I did something very bad, which was going to affect not only me, but it's going to affect my wife and my children and the mm -hmm. restaurant and other people. And I told my wife what I had done and she mm -hmm. was very unhappy, um, to say the least. Um, I told her that I would never drink again, which I had said, I don't know, a hundred times previously. Sure. So I'm never going to drink again. And there was something about this time that I was like, I don't, um, I don't know what it is, but I have really fucked up. And Steven said, Hey, don't come to work. Just hang out. Just wait. I'm going to see, you know, what people are talking about. And it kind of went viral within the restaurant. And, um, two days later he said, Hey, look, let's meet in person. And as we met in person, my wife called me and she said, this mind you, we bought our dream home 17 days close on our dream home 17 days before this. I met Steven at a coffee shop. We're sitting outside. And uh, I kind of told this story one time on the show, but uh, we agreed that I would resign my position. And uh, he said that he was going to offer me a severance package, which was going to allow me to figure out what I wanted to do next. And my wife had told me on the way there, she goes, look, I'm screwed either way. You've made a complete fool out of me. You've made a complete fool out of yourself at these restaurants. If you go back to these restaurants, I'm mortified. I don't want you to go back there. But if you get fired or you lose your job today, I'm completely screwed too. You're the, you're the bread, like you're the one who makes the money in this house. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, when I decided, when I said, okay, so I don't have a job. And he said, we're going to, you know, this year's severance package and yada, yada, a huge rainbow showed up. Like I can't even describe, and I'll put it on Instagram. I'll put it on, on my brand NRR page is the, um, this rainbow showed up and I just started crying. I didn't know what to do because it was like God was speaking to me. You know, it was like one of those moments where you go, holy shit, like this has really come to a head. Like I am, I, I drove there to that meeting thinking that every single person in the world hated me, that there was nobody that liked me, that I was, I was at my, my rockiest of bottoms. One of those moments, right? And the way that Stephen told me what he was going to do, he gave me a hug and he said, I love you. He said, you're amazing. You're the best for our business. And, and feeling that one person there that said they love me was amazing. Seeing this rainbow, I drove home and I was full of this. Okay, God has told me that the flood is over. Go. Like, this is my turn. So I got home and I told my wife what was going on. And I told her, I said, I don't know what you're going to do. If you're going to leave me or if you're going to stay with me or whatever you're going to do, know this, that I will be a better person going forward. So begins the work. Mm -hmm. That night, uh, I found a meeting. Now, one of the things about these meetings, I'm not going to talk too much about AA because one of the traditions is I, I don't want to be an endorsement for it. I, I'm not somebody who's like, you should go check this out. That's not what I'm doing. Um, that's not what we want to do as a community, but I do in order to tell my story, part of it has to do with this fellowship. So here it goes. I went to my first meeting that night and uh, I was talking on the phone to somebody and like, man, you don't need that shit. And I said, no, I think I do. And I kind of told them what happened and they go, look, dude, AA is for people who have like slid into buses and killed children. Like you're going to be in there. You're going to be like, I don't need to be in this room. 
And so I didn't know what to expect. I was scared. I mean, hey, I mean, like if I go to this thing, I'm admitting defeat. I'm going to get there and I have to I have to say the words. I have to say I am an alcoholic. Like, why do I have to say that? Like, I don't want to do it. And I walked in and I walked to the back of this room and they have like all these little pamphlets, There's all these people in there. Right. And they're all just hanging out, talking because they all know each other. And I walked to the back of this room and I pulled out a couple pamphlets and I sit in the very back row looking at pamphlets about AA, which, by the way, that's the number one reason you know who a newcomer is. If they come in, they don't talk to anybody, they pull out pamphlets. Well, a guy walked up to me and he said, hey, man, you new here? And uh, I said, sure, I, I, I am. First time. And uh, he was wearing a, a Predator's jacket. And I was like, you a hockey fan? And he said, yeah. And this was a meeting where people were celebrating their birthdays, uh, annual birthdays. And so he goes, you got to come sit in the front row, man. And I'm like, oh, shit. So, like, not what I want to do. Not what I want to do. And I sit and I listen to somebody who looked like me, who's dressed nice. And he was up there. And he goes, I celebrate three years today. But I almost didn't. Because I almost relapsed last week. And then he goes, three years ago, I almost lost my family. I almost I lost my job. I almost lost my home. And I, I felt in that moment like there's never a place I needed to be more. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's one of those scary moments in life where you go, holy shit, like everybody doesn't hate me. Like people, everybody in this room like gets it. They are all like, yeah, dude, you fucked up. You fucked up. We all did this is the first day of the rest of your life. It's one day at a time. It's not, how am I going to get three years? This guy's got three years. How am I going to get three years? It's, you have a day. You have two days. You have three days. Like, it's okay. Like, it's one day at a time. And so at the end of the meeting, I stood up and I got my little 24-hour chip and I said, my name's Brandon and I'm an alcoholic. Whew. You know, the only thing I could really say about that moment is that I imagine... It's what somebody who comes out of the closet feels like for the first time when they're able to say, mom, dad, whoever, mm-hmm. me being able to say that was like the most freeing, releasing moment of my life. Because I was like, whoa, acceptance. I just accepted something about myself that I was afraid of for 20 years. I've been afraid that this was me. And now I'm accepting it. And here we go. And I got literature and I started learning uh, steps. And something about me is that I like to be in control. And I have lots of, I have lot. I had lot, I was very angry. I was a very angry person. I had no idea how angry that I was. And I learned that I can't control everything. There's a there's a prayer, and I've said this on a hundred times on this um, on this podcast. There's a serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. And that small phrase hits me so hard because I can't change anybody else. I can't control anybody else. And they say you've got to give over all of this stuff to a higher power. I think I think this is the part that scares a lot of people. And again. I'm not saying this because you need to go to AA or I'm not endorsing it whatsoever. I'm just telling you some of the things to me that hit me like a ton of bricks, like that just fell on me so hard was I can't control it. Like all these things I'm trying to control that are bringing me anxiety, that are bringing me depression because I can't control them. I can't. 
And so I, I, I sat one night and I prayed and I said, God, I'm giving, I'm giving everything to you. I'm not in control. I'm in control of me and me only. And through the moment with the, um, with the rainbow, I was like, I'm going to give it over to God. I'm going to start listening when God talks to me. And this is God the way that I see him. This isn't, I'm not talking about the traditional version of God, which to me, it kind of is the traditional version of God. But the whole thing about it is you find whatever you have to give it away. You have to give away all this fear that you have. And I did. And I meditated every morning and I was mindful and I went, holy shit, like I'm starting to feel okay. And I was at home first. And then, you know, this was October, November, December. I remember I had two job interviews with a big food company. And I was really excited about them. And I thought that I absolutely drilled these interviews. I mean, like, I was like, holy shit, I killed it. Like, there's one interview where we had to do a role play. And it was me role playing that I was a consultant for a restaurant group. And I had to bring them ideas as to how to make the restaurant better. It was a real restaurant that I had to. And I was with like the executive, their executive team. And I was a consultant showing them what to do. And literally, like, I had a PowerPoint made. And I go to a slide and they would go, yeah. Well, what about this? And I go, it's funny you should say that because my next slide covers it. Like I was, I've never hit a meeting. I've never killed an interview so well. But before that interview, I walked in and I said, you know what? No matter what happens, I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to do it. I'm giving it over to God. I'm not in control of this. And um, I didn't get it. I didn't get the job. They called me and they said, hey, look, you didn't get the job. And I was like, wow. Okay. Um, That's crazy. Well, no problem. I'll just move forward. And um, that's when I came up with New Light Hospitality. And we came up with, I'm going to help people. I'm going to start doing all this stuff. And um, the logo for New Light Hospitality, New Light is based from the John Mayer song, New Light. You like that song? And this is my new light. This is a new way in which I'm seeing the world. This is my new self. And I can take the best parts of me and the worst parts of me, and I can continue to learn. So I'm, I'm not healed by any means. I'm still well into this process. I have not finished all of the steps. I'm slowly working every single one to get better. And it's identifying all of my resentments and all of my fears and going over all these things that I still hold on to and telling somebody about them and letting them go. Just saying goodbye. Um, So I ended up doing New Line Hospitality and this podcast started. And it's crazy because I kept having these ideas about the podcast and just ideas and ideas and ideas just kept spewing in. And, um, and I prayed, I'd sit there and I prayed about it, prayed about it. And then all of a sudden, like the pandemic started and I had already had all of the stuff ready to do the podcast. I had prepared everything and I just started talking to a microphone. And it's amazing because I would have stressed about all of this so hard before, but now I'm like, oh, wow, it's kind of fortuitous. Cool. It wasn't to me. What's going to happen is going to happen. It wasn't that I manifested, it just kind of happened that way. So so that's kind of my story. Um, there's so much more to it. Since that day, we've gone through a pandemic that is never ending. Um, we went through a um, historic civil rights movement, which was amazing for me because this cloud of machismo and all this stuff that I felt like I needed to feel about something. And, well, you're just not working hard and whatever I had, like, Reading the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, was so powerful to me because I was like, holy shit, like, I'm not fighting for them. Like, I'm just over here saying, hey, that's not cool or not doing those things, but allowing it when I hear it, not like actively saying, hey, that's not cool. Don't say that. Like, I never did that. 
and you're one of those people to me that I'm so impressed with because you are you you are an absolute anti-racist and I love that about you and I'm trying every day um, mm -hmm. but I was able to see that you know I was able to see that it was probably my about the second or third week of being sober which they call it being dry until you you're being oh. sober but I went to this meeting and I was sitting it was, a, it was me I never been to before and um, this is the one of the biggest moments for me and everybody was quiet. It was just a quiet, quiet room for like three minutes. Nobody was talking. And so I said, this is the first time I ever shared. I said, hello, my name is Brandon. I'm an alcoholic. He said, hi, Brandon. And I said, I just want to say how grateful I am today for guilt and my lack thereof. Because when I was drinking, I had no idea the things that I were doing were totally alcoholic stuff. Mm -hmm. I kept a bottle of vodka in my freezer, right? And that bottle of vodka in my freezer was something that I would uh, get home. I would leave work at night and I would take a half bottle of wine. I'd polish that off on the way home. I'd walk in the door. I'd walk in my kitchen, in my garage, to my garage cooler and open up a LaCroix. I would take a huge sip out of it. Then I would fill it with ice cold vodka, right? So I put three to four ounces in there. I put the lid back on. I'd walk inside. My wife go, have you been drinking? I go, oh, no, we had a wine tasting at work. That's it. I'm just drinking LaCroix now. Mm -hmm. And I would drink a LaCroix. And then I would quickly open a beer because that LaCroix, all that vodka and breath. Now I had beer. Oh, yeah, now I have had a beer. Mm -hmm. And I would go to my bonus room and I would stay there and watch TV while she went to bed. And I would drink four or five more beers. And I thought that was normal. Mm -hmm. I was like, a lot of people do this, right? And the way that I would keep that vodka... Because I would finish off of half gallon of vodka fairly quickly at Tito's, right? Mm -hmm. And I, that thing would be half empty in like, you know, three or four days. So I had a full half gallon that I would keep in the grass catcher for my mower mm -hmm. so that, you know, she would never look there. So every once in a while, I would refill it. So if she opened the freezer, she would see that bottle very slowly go. It would always stay pretty full. Well, he's not really drinking out of that. It can't be that bad. I wonder why he smells like, I thought that was normal. Like right. I had normalized that in my life. I normalized putting six packs of beer in my work backpack that I would take upstairs immediately so that she wouldn't hear it, see it. And then when she would go to bed, I would drink lukewarm beers. Like, so in this meeting, I said, I'm just excited that I don't have to lie. I was lying so much, Jen. I had no idea how much I was lying to her. I had no clue how I kept up with all the bullshit that I was spewing. Mm -hmm. It was this big epiphany. Like, oh my God, when you're honest, you don't have to lie. You have to worry about her. Every time the phone would ring and it was like in a busy time or something at the restaurant, I'd be like, oh shit, she found the vodka. Mm -hmm. She found my, she found that two cans I hid under the couch. She'd find my gummy bears. She found something like every time the phone ring, I thought I was in trouble. And that doesn't happen anymore. It's the craziest thing. Yeah, they say you're only as sick as your secrets, which mm. I have said. I mean, my husband's in recovery, and I've said that to him many, many times. And, you know, it's it's a thing. So what I want to talk about, I think, is that, I mean, I know we don't want to harp on the AA portion, but sure. it is a free outlet for anybody that is struggling, which I think is great. It's nonprofit. It's not, they don't expect anything of you. Um, and I know that going there 
there is kind of this, like people had said to you, like, well, you're not like them. You're not like them. And that's a really common thing. I think that you hear in the industry or outside the industry, you just hear that you're not, you're not that bad. And we do that to ourselves, right? Like I have always struggled with body image issues and I used to watch, I can't believe I'm admitting this. I used to watch a show <laughs> called My Thousand Pound Sisters or whatever, because I was like, okay, well, I'm not that bad. Like I, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, which is crazy. But anyway, that same idea, right. Of like that comparison of, well, I'm not the guy that's homeless on the, in the, whatever those things are called, the median holding up a sign. That's not me. I can't be that bad but there's different levels. Right. And so how did you get past the us and them? Was it just seeing that guy come up and speaking and him looking like you or, you know, that was the the first thing. And then as I continue to meet people, I mean, these are my best friends in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, we started a pandemic really soon after I got sober. So I wasn't seeing people. I mean, the only people I was seeing were these people and nobody judged me. And nobody cared. The only thing they cared about was helping me. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was um, it was just amazing. I didn't know people like this existed. I just everybody in this world is cutthroat and it's business and it's I'm taking this and whatever you get, you get. And like that's the opposite that I feel from my community right now. Mm-hmm. And it encourages me to want to give back as much as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. The stigma of what that was was I just got into it. You know, one of the things that I started doing was I started going to, uh, I started going downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sponsor tricked me. They say, they say he tricked me into going to a room in room with an N, a room in the N. That's what room it's called. In the room yeah. in the N. And I went every Sunday morning to like a meeting there for like months until the pandemic ended. And being in that room with everybody, and I mean, I'm in that room with Titans player. I mean, there, there's, it's it is truly anonymous, but there, there's some of the most amazing people that you just talk with and you just, it's a time to shut up for me. Mm-hmm. I talk so much that it's time for me to like sit and I listen to other people and I go, wow, there's really good stuff here, which mm-hmm. is what inspires me. I hear so many people tell me a story where uh, I was, I was a bag of shit. I was this guy. I did this, I did this, this, but now I'm leading a company and now I'm doing all of these things because Alcohol clouds you, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't think that alcohol did anything to me, but like I was hiding from everything. I was really unhappy with myself in so many ways. And I would drink because I didn't want to be around me either. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 people say that drinking's your problem drinker. I, you know, I made this comment. I said, drinking wasn't my problem. Drinking was my solution. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to deal with myself. I didn't know how to handle situations. I didn't want to feel. I was never grown up. Growing up, nobody let me me feel. You just get through it. I mean, to this day, I go, you know, to my parents' house for barbecues, and it's all a bunch of dudes with bottles of bourbon talking about bourbon, and uh, uh, and it's like, I my wife's like, every time we go up there, you just leave. I'm like, I. Because it doesn't do it doesn't do anything for me to sit around and just talk about bourbon for like it's so shallow. Like I just don't want to do it. And I'm not calling my family and fr- friends up there shallow, but like it was a com I recognize I did that too. Like I'm just I don't know. I didn't I didn't know um I didn't know how to handle my feelings. I didn't want to have feelings. And then when I stopped drinking and I started having feelings, I went, Oh shit, what do I do now? 
my resource for for dealing with stress, dealing with people, dealing with any feelings, insecurity, anything at all. Well, I just go get drunk. Mm -hmm. That's gone. What do you do? So I picked up hiking. I picked up listening to podcasts. I started, I was able to, to, to read Brene Brown, like talking about daring greatly, like learning how to be vulnerable in a way that like, it's okay. It's been the most powerful thing to me because like I'm learning how to feel again. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if, I'm able to talk to my children in a way that isn't surface level. And I'm, it's hard as shit. Like I try and meditate as much as I possibly can. When I don't know how to do stuff now, I try and pray or I be mindful and I stop and I think I can't just go drink. Mm -hmm. And it's been the most amazing thing because I actually have to face the demon and mm -hmm. go, look, motherfucker, it's on. And I'm going to challenge you. And that's where that work is done. That's mm -hmm. where that growth happens. I can't run from it anymore. And so another big part of wanting to do this podcast is I just love talking to people and learning. I've just really, this was a way for me to connect with people and to learn about this craft and to share it with a bunch of people. But um, yeah, I had no clue. Uh, the fog that I had and how I dealt with problems and how I dealt with anything was so bad. And they call it an allergy. Now that's the thing that I think I learned a lot was that me and alcoholism has so many different looks and faces to it but for me what it looked like was i i'm i'm not possible i can't just have a drink mm -hmm. if i have one i'm having 10. it's not mm -hmm. a bottle of, it's not like a glass of wine it's like a bottle and then i've got to open that second bottle which means i have to finish the second bottle mm -hmm. you know it's drinking until i pass out at night that's what i would do i would i would take like an ambient or something then i would drink four or five high gravity beers until I'm watching TV and I fall asleep on the couch and wake up at two o'clock in the morning, then go upstairs, brush my teeth real good and get into bed with my wife. Mm. Like I didn't have any way to cope. And now I don't do any of that. Um, like I said, I'm not, I'm not healed. I'm not some superhuman now. I just feel a lot more shit. I, I hurt the same way, but I work through mm -hmm. those feelings and I'm still angry. I still mm -hmm. get mad. I'm still like, ah, I get manic. That's who I am. Like I'm, I'm trying to get past that every single day, but I mean, shit, I'm two years and two months in. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to wait until I was at least a couple years. I'm gonna go, hey, look, I got 30 days. Listen to me. I'm a sober guy. Like, uh, and that's hey, 30 days is nothing to, to shake a stick at. That's really impressive. No, so it's the day, same. I mean, it's day I mean, one. Yeah, me. exactly. So, you know, because this is a rampant issue within the industry specifically, and you did a very hard thing in coming back. To your position coming back to the restaurants um and specifically the restaurant you were you'd resigned from mm -hmm. which i got to witness with you because that's when we really met so i never knew uh you at you drinking i've only known you as a sober person um which i think is a great privilege of mine to know you in that way <laughs> and, uh, and um, you, you you would not have liked me <laughs> believe that um but uh it has allowed us your journey and and what i'm in with my husband and all that has allowed us to become close so i'm grateful for that but that was a very hard thing for you to do and even even if you hadn't done that you're still constantly around alcohol right i mean you and i sat and priced liquor the other day and we were talking about allocation and we're talking and we're trying to teach the staff stuff about wine and so how 
being around that because people that listen to this are likely in the industry and will likely stay in it. Right. Some of us are just lifers. So how do you deal with that now in a way that makes you feel safe and comfortable in that environment again? That's a great question. Uh, I was pretty fortunate that when I stopped drinking, I wasn't in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that I was going to get back into a role where I potentially would have to travel. And that role with the food company was one where I would be gone three or four days out of the month. And that's the thing that scared me the most. Like, mm-hmm. how am I going to go on a day trip and stay in a hotel for three days and not drink? Mm-hmm. And I found out that you can go to meetings anywhere around the country. Whenever else goes out drink, I can go to a meeting. Mm-hmm. And what I did was over time, um, I have a sponsor and you call your sponsor and you ask questions and you go, hey, this is what I'm feeling. And they can help you. I think a support system is one of the things that uh, you have to have. And then once you get a little bit of time and you learn how to really pray and meditate, you realize how you were using alcohol. I've realized how I used alcohol Mm -hmm. and how toxic it it is for me. Mm -hmm. And that if I have one sip, I'm right back in. Like there's no, oh, I can just taste this one time. I can do one thing. I know if I have one, it's that first drink for me and I'm gone. I lose everything, right? It's gone for me. So I have that. But I think there's a lot of things I've learned over that year and a half being outside, a year and two months being outside of the restaurant that allowed me strength to go back in. So I was, I kind of cheated. I didn't have to get sober and then go right back to work in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely having a support system of people around you who care about you and anybody who's, you know, it's one of those things. I drink mocktails now. I've I've just started drinking non-alcoholic beer. Uh, because I do, I love an IPA. I love these things. And I've, I've got it. I, I didn't, I couldn't do that the first almost two years. It was right at the two year mark that we were on a, a, a trip. Of, I went to on a food trip to Asheville of all places. We ate at like nine restaurants where every single person on the trip was drinking. And I didn't, I didn't drink. I wasn't even really tempted. I had a, I had a non-alcoholic beer and I was like, Oh, that was really nice. Like, and it didn't make me want another beer. It was just kind of like, Hey, that was cool. Um, it's frowned upon in the community. To, to drink non-alcoholic beer, at least until you get a little time under your belt. Mm-hmm. But for me, um, I, I think that one of the things I want to do, I want to champion normalization of not drinking. Mm-hmm. When you go out somewhere and you say, oh, no, thanks, I don't drink. Like, like these bars, you go to any bar that doesn't sell mocktails, that doesn't sell non-alcoholic beer, you're like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't do something for people that don't drink. You don't make anything at all. It, it, it baffles my mind sometimes. Or when mm-hmm. you say... Oh, no, thanks. I don't drink. They go, why? Yeah, I was going to say. I don't need to answer why I don't drink to you. Right. I mean, I just say, because I don't drink. Because I'm sober. And what I say now is, I go, because I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, shit. Did he just say he's an alcoholic? And I go, hell yeah. It's part of my identity now. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I'm I'm proud of it. Like, I'm okay to say, like, it's like, I'm not, I'm out of the closet. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I know who I am. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's deadly to me. I can, if somebody gets into my grill, well, do you just have one? I'm like, I'm an alcoholic asshole. Like, I'm not going to do it. And that, which is very, very, very rare. I've, I've maybe one time in two years, I've had anybody be like, oh, dude, you can have one or you could smoke weed. I'm like, I, I don't do that either. I don't do anything. No mood altering. I just don't do any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's helped me a lot. Prayer. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think people see me in the restaurant when I go spend time alone somewhere where I just go, God, this is really difficult for me right now. And I don't know what to do, but I'm going to, I'm putting it in your hands and I'm going to mm-hmm. walk out of this room 
and you're going to give me some sort of sign. You're going to tell me what I need to do because I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I don't know what to do here, so I'm just going to give it to you. And it's amazing mm-hmm. how immediately there's a clarity that goes about you because you stop worrying about it, and all that worry goes away, and you go, oh, well, now I know what to do. I've stopped mm-hmm. worrying about it. Let's do this. And if it's right or wrong, it's okay. Like, it's just... So I, I do that a lot now, and it helps. Yeah. Lot. I don't I walk around the building bumping a Bible. No. But typically, if I can't find you, I know you're either having a moment where you've ADC, you've Irish <laughs> Two options, really. Um, I also think it's important to be... I think there are more supportive people in the industry than people realize. And, you know, seeing, like... I've said to my husband, I think I've said it to you too. Like if they're not up here for your sobriety, then they can't be in our lives. Like they just can't. If it's somebody that says like, Hey, let's go out drinking. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like they have, but there are people that are really, really supportive and you have to, there does come this, like with any change and growth comes other growth and other change. And you do kind of have to, there are certain people that we don't hang out with anymore meaning me and my husband, because they weren't people we felt safe not drinking around and, or that it was just became uncomfortable. We realized our whole relationship was based around drinking and things like that. So those are not people in our lives. And I think that that is a scary thing for people that are on that ledge of getting sober of, Oh no, my whole life's going to change. I can't go out anymore. I can't see my friends anymore. And I just think it's important to know that that's not true. Right? Like, you've gone, you've, you and I have gone out for my birthday, like, and I don't drink around you unless you're like, Hey, it's okay. You can drink. And my, I do the same thing with my husband and you have to feel safe to allow people to do that. And I think that that's okay. And I don't want people to think like, Oh no, there's no fun anymore. You have plenty of fun. So does he. (laughs) It's just different. And I don't want people to be like, Oh, they're sober. It's not fun. You know what I mean? You know, I bought some, uh, they have some really good IPAs. Untitled Art makes some good, like, IPAs and a Florida Vice and and a juicy New England-style IPA. And I got some at Red last night for New Year's. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lady I was checking out, she's like, do you have ID? And I go, sure, but I, I, it's, it's a non-alcoholic. And the lady goes, and the lady that was, like, bagging everything standing there, she said, oh, you're going to try and do, uh, you're going to have fun tonight without alcohol. And I go, I have fun every night without alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it was just this weird, like, she looked at me like, how the hell do you do that? And I was like, I don't have to worry. Like, I can just be me all the time. That's the fun part is that Mm -hmm. I wake up the next day and I don't go, who the fuck was that guy last night? And why did he come out? And Mm -hmm. God, I hope that he never does again. Uh, We had a name for him. His name was Brandemonium. You've never met Brandemonium. No, I've also never heard that because I definitely probably would have made fun of that. Yeah. Brandemonium is a, a rest in peace. He okay. is the drunk alter ego of Brandon. And I will tell you the person that for me, you said you got to stay around, stay away from people who are unsupportive. Mm-hmm. My wife quit drinking when mm-hmm. I quit drinking. Mm-hmm. She said, no more. Like, I will not do that around you. And I can't tell you how much that means to me. Yeah. Just the fact that she was like, look, I'm asking you to do this. I don't need it. I'm not an alcoholic. Like, I don't need it in my life. And it fit. Mm-hmm. Is it all hard view now? If she's going out for a girls' night or whatever, have a glass of wine. Do it. Like I'm not telling her one time you no, have to do course. anything, but like she just does that. She just does not drink around me at all. Mm-hmm. And for a year 
Plus, she was mm-hmm. the only person I was with because we were in the middle of a pandemic. Right. So I'm around her only and my children. So it was really easy for me to really learn a lot. And I, I, I kind of got to cheat. You know, I went through what some people thought was like the hardest time in the world. Yet I was having all these amazing personal discoveries in my life mm-hmm. with feelings and emotions and like, whew, just like every single week, just all of this, this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. And I'm still to this day, like I'm still learning more podcasts and I'm still talking to people. And that's why I want to share more of these stories. I want to have more people. on. if you're in the industry and you're listening to this and you go, damn, man, I've been sober for a few years and you want to tell your story. My goal here is to normalize this. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to go, oh, you're an alcoholic or, oh, that's weird. That's taboo. I want that to be just like, oh, cool, man. No problem. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. No questions asked. That's awesome. I want people to have non-alcoholic options when people go out. If you're a manager and you have somebody who's in recovery, I want you to understand what they're going through. And I want you to go, hey, maybe I'm not going to push them so hard on this. Or I'll pull them aside and have a one-on-one and go, hey, look, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable about this. Can I help in any way? Like anybody who stops you and smiles and tells you like, hey, man, I support you. I, I like get crazy. I had a guy. I had a guy last week. Let me tell you something. Um. We went to Big Bad Breakfast, and uh, we were meeting with the president of GFS, and it was amazing. We had this big breakfast, and we got up and left, and uh, Stephen goes, hey, I'm, I'm going to hit the restroom, and I was standing there with Christopher, and a guy walked up to me, and he goes, hey, are you Brandon? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, what's up? And he said, you gave me an Uber ride like a year ago, and I go, yeah, because that's why I drove Uber most of the time when I wasn't working. I just loved doing it, and... It was a way to make money. And he goes, you drove me from Franklin to downtown. And we talked all about the restaurant industry. And I wanted to get out of the restaurant industry. And after our conversation, I was like, maybe I'll give another shot. And then I've been listening to your podcast ever since. And I've dug in and I have got so into what I'm doing. And I just love it now. And I want to tell you, thank you. You've inspired me. That's amazing. And you just get those. I get that every, like, I have those type conversations every once in a while. And it just like. I can't tell you what it does for like my heart. Like I can feel that. That's actually not the story I thought you were going to share. Cause that happened to you again recently. You were, I don't remember who you were out with, but a woman passed you a card. And, oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought you were going to say. No, that was another one. Yeah. I was, I was meeting with somebody who had reached out, heard me on the show and said, Hey, look, I'd like to have lunch with you. And I said, I'm with him. And he said, first of all, I quit drinking. And I said, what? Mm-hmm. He goes, I heard you on the podcast. And I just want to say that if you can do it, I can do it. And I've been thinking about it for a long time. So I quit drinking. And I said, wow, man, that's amazing. Like, that's awesome. I'm here for you. Like, here's my phone number, anything I can do. Like, and he was a, a director of operations for a restaurant group. And he was like, look, I just want to connect. I don't have much more, but uh, and we talked about his job and all the stuff. And we had a great conversation, but when we were kind of done. A lady walked up and ha- passed me a note and said, I was listening to you guys talk. I'm sorry, but here's a note. You have to read it now, but give me a call. And it was basically, I heard you guys talking about this. And I have a friend who's quitting drinking and it's really hard for him. And he just feels like it's this state, like if he goes to a meeting, then he gives up. And he's like, but hearing you talk about it so effortlessly, like, I'd love for him to come to where you are. And will you call me? And I was like, sure. I mean, happy to. Um, And again, like, it's not you need to do this prescriptive way to do it, but it doesn't have to be this thing that you feel like, oh, I'm admitting defeat. Because you know what? I feel great every day when I wake up and I have more money. I have a little calculator. I'll pull it up real quick because I have a, it's an actual app and it's called Nomo. Mm -hmm. Nomo sobriety clocks. 
And this tells you all of your stats since you quit drinking. What about that? I have it. I use <laughs> You have the app? I do. I have it for uh, my husband. Oh, very nice. I'm trying to find, it's like not pulling up right now for some reason because it hates me because it knows I'm recording. <laughs> but I've saved like $30,000 or something ridiculous in all the time and calories mm -hmm. that I've saved. Uh, not to mention my phone bill from calling and apologizing to people the next day and texts that I've deleted because I've said, I'm sorry, I acted that way and not wanting my wife to find out that I was a complete jackass the night before because she would be mad at me because anything I did reflected poorly on her. And that's a lot. A well, lot and I want to, I want to mention briefly too, that, um, you know, we've talked a lot about your wife also named Jen or Jennifer and, um, she and I have gotten to talk a little bit about what it's like to be married to an addict and things that we did that we didn't realize we did in, you know, look, smelling water bottles randomly or like looking in bags when, or, you know, and, and it's, it's freeing to know that somebody else did those things too, right? Because you do, as an addict, as, you, as both of us married addicts, you do feel gaslit. You're like, no, I, I don't think I'm crazy, but they're making me feel crazy. And that's a very hard place to be as your partner that just wants to love you and support you and all of those things. And so I know something that I have done on and off for years now is um, Al-Anon. And I don't think people know about Al-Anon as much either. And it is like the sister of AA. It is for people that are not addicts, but are in relationship with addicts. So whether that's your romantic partner, your work partner, your mom, your dad, your brother, whoever it is, like that's also a place where you can go and understand that you too cannot control your addict, which is so hard. I mean, it's so hard to know I can't do anything to prevent you from drinking like you have to make that choice my husband had to make that choice like that is a very very hard place to be and so anyone listening that maybe feels that or is in that in that space you are not crazy and there is a place for you too 100 percent. no that's that's a that's a very good point and if you work with people who are uh, in recovery i mean if you're just a manager and you want to understand it better anybody's allowed to go to these things yeah you know, to go to, uh, I think that the only rule to go to an AA meeting is that you have to have a desire to quit drinking. Mm -hmm. You go to any meeting, any meeting anywhere you can go to, they're welcoming anybody. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't cost anything. You have to pay a dime. Just go and sit in a corner if you want. And there's also learn. meetings that are specifically for women, that are specifically for men, that are mixed. So you can go yeah. with a group that you feel comfortable. Al-Anon does the same thing. I used to go to an all-women one because that makes me feel more comfortable, um, which is great. So you don't have to feel alone in any way there's always somebody there there's treatment centers there's all kinds of stuff and one of the things mm -hmm. i want to do with this episode is i want to bring in um i don't want to have sponsors where mm -hmm. we bring in any ad money from this i want to have people sponsor this show when i interview people and Corey coleman has said he'd like to be the first one to come on and share his story um which i love that he's become a friend of mine uh through all of this and is a major support network i think that some people don't realize how many other people out there are, are sober. If you want to hear more, there's an episode I did with Jeremy Lister. Um, Jeremy Lister is a musician and he did a cover of somewhere over the rainbow, which was my favorite thing. He, he's just the most amazing musician, but he sang this song 
on the podcast and maybe I'll re-release it, but it was just him singing somewhere over the rainbow. And I like started crying in the middle of it because that was one of these amazing things for me. This morning I've taken down my Christmas lights and I look, it starts raining and I turn around and there's a huge rainbow. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes you get in your fields and you look around and you're like, I need a sign. I need something. And then you go New Year's Day and you mm-hmm. look up and then there's a huge rainbow going over your home and you're like, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be just fine. And it's, a, I don't know, you got to, you got to, some people say, God doesn't talk to you. How do you know that? And I go, oh no, he does. Mm-hmm. She does. Whatever they mm-hmm. are. Um, it's just a, you got to, you got to know how to listen. You got to mm-hmm. listen. To, it's funny I, about this whole thing with the COVID and everything. And it, there's a story about, um, a guy who was in a flood and there's a flood and a big truck comes by as the flood is coming and the guys go, Hey man, hop in, we'll take you away. And he goes, no, my God will save me. Mm-hmm. And then as the flood waters get up to like his front door, a boat comes by and says, Hey man, it's getting worse. Get in the boat. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And then now he's on his roof and another boat comes by and says, remember the last boat you got to get on. He's like, my God will save me. Mm-hmm. And then the water overcomes him and he dies and he's in heaven. And he goes, God, I thought you were going to send. He goes, I sent you a truck and two boats. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? Sometimes you have to listen. You have mm-hmm. to look for it, and you have to go. You know what? I get it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. So, well, and I just want to end this a little bit by saying to you that again, not knowing you as Brandemonium, um, <laughs> you are the thing I love most about working with you is you are now so in tune to my feelings as your peer when like I there was something on Christmas Eve where you were like hey I I don't want to rehash this it's fine we'll talk about it later and I was like okay I thought nothing of it and you did and you texted me and you're like hey I hope I didn't come off disrespectful I didn't want you to feel like you didn't matter in that moment and I was like oh (laughs) that's very kind I didn't feel that way and I just I love that you are that aware of, and when I'm not feeling well, you can tell when I, when I am frustrated, like last night we texted and I was clearly a little frustrated and you're very aware of that. And you're like, okay, let me address this. And you're very good at addressing the way people feel, not just me, our coworkers. I mean, you've been great for my husband too. And for so many other people, you're so good at allowing other people's feelings in now to where you can, remedy if possible or just correct if possible and you take a lot of ownership over that and i think that that's a really huge thing to be able to do that i i don't know if you could do prior but i know you do now and so i think that's a huge step in your growth and i just want to compliment you on that because that's very hard for most people to do that means uh that means the world coming from you and um it's a new it's a new thing learning Mm -hmm. feelings and Mm -hmm. uh, i love it I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, I value everything that you do. I see you for being an amazing person in all that you do. You're hardworking. You're intelligent. You stand up for the right thing. You do so many things. I'm just like so impressed with. I was like, I want her to be on the show. Like she's just <laughs> one of these people that I get, and she'll call me out when I'm when I'm acting away. Like, and I love that. I like the fact that. Um, that you do that. And, um, I value and respect the hell out of you. And I thank you for all that you do. So, 
All right. So on that note, I think this is a good time to wrap it up. Um, if yeah. you do want to learn more about any of this or you want to sit on talk or any of that stuff, again, I'm not an endorsement for AA or any of this stuff. It's just, it's such a major part of mine that I, I kind of feel like I need to need to talk to some of that kind of about me coming to the um, place of acceptance that this is a thing was really, um, was really part of it. So I wanted to share that. And uh, thank you for being here on this. Uh, it was it was a little tough for me at times because I still feel a lot of emotions. Mm -hmm. But uh, hopefully, if you're out there um, and you're listening, I don't know. I don't know if this helps you. I don't know whatever it is, but it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And it's it's the best part about it is it's just begun. Mm -hmm. Like I'm two years. Like I, gosh, hopefully I've got fifty more. I don't know. Yeah, but. This has been pretty fun. And I tell you, I have twice as much fun now because I remember the fun that I had. <laughs> so it's like I get to have the fun and then I get to remember it, which right. is fantastic. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? The, the thing that I've learned also is that it's okay to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's okay. I've met so many people who have relapsed. So many people like it's okay to make mistakes. Like just pull up your bootstraps up and learn from them. The major thing that I've taken away from all of this is that I made big mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but I'm an adult and I can say, yeah, that one's on me. I did the wrong thing there and I'm going to own that and I'm going to get better and then actually get better. Then actually go and figure out why you did what you did and try and get better. Mm -hmm. And it's easier to do that when you have all your capacity. So that's something yeah. that I have focused on in a big way. Hiking does that for me. I mm -hmm. love hiking every day uh, if I can and uh, working in the yard, that kind of stuff. But we will uh, we will move forward. we got a lot of fun in store for 2022. We've got an actual studio. Uh, it is a done deal. We are going to do it. We've got a studio. It's going to be in Hillsborough Village. I'm going to be creating it over the first couple weeks. Probably our first episode will be, I'm going to say, beginning of February, late January. We will have an actual studio. We'll be doing this in live, guest in studio. I am super pumped. Yeah. National Restaurant Radio ain't going anywhere. I mean, pending if this takes off and people uh, hate me from now on, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I knew the Brandemonium guy and he was a dick. Like, yeah, I, I was. I, I certainly oh, was. No. Uh, but hopefully you guys will show me some grace. Uh, mm -hmm. My word my word for 2022, again, is going to be gratitude uh, because I think that's something that we – we don't have enough of on a daily basis. I'm in my mm -hmm. nice air conditioned, heated home with electricity and a family. And when my mom calls, I get to answer it and talk to my mom. Like so many people that don't have those basic things that um, I think gratitude is something that I'm going to find a lot of this year. And uh, again, I just, I can't stop with it. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Well, thank you for sharing your story and uh, we're looking forward to the rest of them this year. Yep. All right, guys, we'll be at you soon. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So, wow. Um, thank you. Thank you for listening to that, I guess. Uh, we recorded that New Year's Day, and I was pretty emotional. I'm going to put the video out there. You can see I'm just, like, tearing up throughout the entire thing because it's hard for me to talk about a lot of that stuff. I still don't quite know how to have emotions. Uh, I, I, I cry a lot. <laughs> it's a crazy thing. I'm going to stop doing that at some point, I promise. Uh, and we got a little long-winded there about people and what they should do with other people and alcoholics and all this. I, you know what? Don't listen to any of that. 
do whatever you want to do. I, I, I was listening. I was like cringeworthy, but I left it in just because. Hey, we 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 were riffing. Um, I said I was gonna add on just anything that I kind of missed, and there's one area that I started talking about. I talked about alcoholism being an allergy, and that's one of the things that I learned early on is that some people have allergies. Uh, Jen is allergic to shellfish and seafood, all seafood and tree nuts. And that just means that she can't eat those things. Her body responds differently. And some people have an allergy. You can't just have one drink. You continue to drink and drink and drink and drink. It's that's it's kind of the way that it's looked at. And it's okay. It's okay if you have that allergy. It just means you can't do it. Some people have that. And um, it made a lot of sense to me when I learned that. When I learned that, oh, I have I have the allergy that I can't just have one drink. That's what it is. And, you know, you wouldn't tell somebody, oh, just eat shellfish one time. You can only do one. Like, no, I'm going to get sick. Like, I, it's bad. And that helped me understand uh, a lot about my own disease, what it was and why it was the way it is. So hopefully uh, there's something you guys are able to take from that. I'm sorry it was so long. But um, it felt good to get that off of my chest. Again, if you want to learn more about it, send me an email, brandon at nashvillerestaurantradio.com. We are going to be back with all new interviews. And guys, I, I also, you know, I have liquor companies on here, and I've interviewed master distillers, and, you know, Charlie Nelson's been on the show, and the Penningtons. Those are great people. I don't begrudge any liquor company that's like Jen hating seafood, you know? It's like, you have an allergy towards it. It's okay. Like, I have nothing against alcohol itself. It's all me. It's not the alcohol's fault. And that's something I also wanted to get out there that, look, I think that there's a lot of people out there that use alcohol responsibly and that don't have an allergy. That's awesome. I'm just jealous that they can do that uh, because I can't. So if you hear me talking about liquor companies, if I have a liquor company who's a sponsor or anything along those lines, it's not that... I um I don't like liquor companies and I don't advocate for alcohol. Like I, I responsible alcohol use is fantastic. If you could do that, then then amen, brother. That's great. Uh I just can't. So uh just to clarify that a little bit. So guys, happy new year, happy 2022. We I hopefully this I have great, great feelings about this year. Like I said, saw a rainbow day one. It, it's only can go up from there i'm just i'm super pumped and thank you for listening to this entire show i hope that you guys are being safe double mask it do this omicron variant sounds terrible uh please be careful out there and um i love you guys